Well, with this being Memorial Day, um, we've already prayed for and remembered the sacrifices of many, but I know it's a a shared sacrifice uh, for families as well as those who serve in our nation. So if you're a past or present serving military member or family member, I'm going to ask that you just stand for a moment so that we can thank you. Would you stand, please? Thank you for your service to our country. Well, some of you have heard that uh, my dad passed away on uh, May 12th. That was two Mondays ago. And I want to thank all of you for your support and prayers, uh, both before and after his passing. I'm very thankful that God allowed my dad to surface and uh, to be found and to be in a care facility where he could be well taken care of. He was in a safe place and getting good care and uh I went to see him, uh, and he professed to know the Lord, so I'm thankful that he uh, says that he knows the Lord and Savior. God knows his heart, and I'm trusting in that. So, again, I just want to thank you all for your support and prayers for me and my family during this time. Thank you. Well, one day there was a pastor and an elder who were going hunting, and uh, as they got to the farm, the uh, pastor got out to go to the owner who was allowing them to hunt there, and he said that they were there and wanted to check in. And the farmer said, uh, you know, pastor, I have this old mule, and he's blind and lame, and he served me well for so many years, and I just don't have the heart to put him down, but I I need to put him out of his misery. He said, would you do me a favor and uh, shoot my mule for me? And the pastor said uh, he would do that. So he went back to the truck where the elder that was hunting with him was seated, and he got his rifle, and as he did so, he decided he'd play a joke. And he told the elder, he said, I am so mad. He said, this farmer said that we cannot hunt on his property. He told us to get in the car and get off his property. He said, I'll show him. And he takes his rifle out, and he levels it across the truck, and he shoots the mule dead. Now, the elder who's there behind the steering wheel just has this shocked look on his face. And uh, he slams the door, he puts the truck in gear, and he tears around the back of the farmhouse as his pastor just burst out laughing at this guy's response. Well, soon he hears three shots in succession. Now, the pastor doesn't know what's going on. He goes running around the back of the farmhouse, and the elder's standing there with a big smile on his face. And he said, Pastor, I fixed him good. All you got was his old mule, but I got three of his cows. (laughs) Now, what I found is, as a leader, sometimes you have to be very careful with what you say. (laughs) Another thing that I found is you have to be very careful in choosing other leaders. As you probably noticed in your bulletin over the last couple of weeks, uh, this is the time as we're looking forward to our congregational meeting in a couple of months where we will be calling additional elders to serve our body. And many of you have been submitting names. We have a nominating committee that has been prayerfully considering those and going through uh, the men that you're submitting. Now, what I wanted to do today, what our board felt would be great, is if I were to do a series on what exactly are the qualifications of a church leader. And so today, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Timothy, where we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 to look at some of the standards that are set out in Scripture to show what qualifies a man to be a leader in our church. In 1 Timothy 3 and verses 1 through 13, this is what we're told. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. 
An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable and able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he be able to care for the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that, so that he may not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let these also first be tested, and let them serve as deacons if they are, be- if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, as we read this list, you can see it's pretty extensive. And this isn't the only list. If you look in the scriptures, you find in addition to here in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5 are other lists of qualifications. Now, as you can see, there's much more here than we can cover in a single Sunday. And so we're going to be going through this list in the coming weeks. And as we look at these lists, I want you to understand that this is not just a a set of sermons that you're going to be able to say, well, this is a man that we should choose to be a leader in our church. This is a sermon series for all of us, because what we find here are Christian characteristics that are marks of maturity. So whether or not you are a, a person who ever serves in the role of a leader in a church as a Christian, these are things that should mark all of our lives. So as we look at these different qualifications, I want you to look at your own lives. And I want you to ask yourself, how do you measure up against these standards? While God has given these as the qualifications for leaders, they are something that should be seen in the lives of every man and woman who calls himself a believer in Jesus Christ. So as we look at these, ask yourself, does this characteristic describe me? Now, as we look at this, Paul begins by saying it is a trustworthy statement If any man aspires to the office of overseer. Now, this word overseer is the Greek word episkopos. You've heard of Episcopalians. Well, this is where they get the word episkopos. And it means a bishop, a shepherd, an overseer. And this is a word that is used in the in the Bible uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. There it says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is the word episkopos, to be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, this word is only found five times in the entire New Testament, and it is used of those who are shepherds over the church. It is used one time in 1 Peter 2.25 to describe Jesus Christ himself as the great shepherd. Now, another word that is used is presbyteros. You've heard of Presbyterians. Well, here is this word. And it's a word that means elder. Now, this word is found 66 times in the Bible. 
And it's used not only of those in a church leadership role. Sometimes it's used by nature to describe somebody who is senior in their age, somebody who is older and mature. And again, that's the meaning of the word. An elder is to be one who is marked by maturity in their life, not just chronologically, uh, but it is to be a word that describes the character of the individual. We find it in Acts 14.23 where it says, And when they had appointed elders, presbyteros, it's a plural form, so there's a multiplicity of elders, for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, this word, as I said, is sometimes used by nature of age, and age alone is not a qualification. You'll remember that Paul said of Timothy, do not let people look down on your youth. There may be a, a person who is younger in chronological age, but is very mature in their walk with the Lord. We all know people who have been Christians 40, 50 years, and they're still infants in their walk with God. Paul admonished believers at one point by saying, by now you should be teachers. You should be longing for the meat, but you've, you need the milk of the word again. You've never really grown and matured. None of us would like to see a 45-year-old man still eating, uh, you know, graduate baby food. And yet some of us as Christians uh, live that way at times. Now, it's used to describe those who are mature in their faith. In verse 6, it says that another requirement is that he is not a new believer. And the reason for that is you don't want to promote somebody too quickly. The Bible warns against those who are raised up to a position uh, higher than their capability. And what happens is they can become conceited. They can start to become prideful. As you think about a leader, it shouldn't necessarily just be like this, where there's a small foundation and a high level you inverted. Greater to have a great foundation and a, a smaller level of elevation. Because like this, you get a, a quickly, you could have a fall. Now, in 1 Timothy 3.8, we find another Greek word for leaders, and this is diakonos. This is where we get the word deacon, and it means a servant or a minister. This word is used in Acts chapter 6 and verses 2 through 4, and it says, And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit of, and of wisdom, that we may put in charge of this task. But we will, devo- we will devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. You see, there are different functions. Sometimes people mistakenly think that a deacon is an elder in training. We say, well, we're going to make a man a deacon, and as he proves himself, we'll elevate him to the role of elder. But there are different giftings. There are different responsibilities. The deacons were the servants. Now, we're going to see very clearly elders are to be servants as well, but they were to minister to the physical needs of the body, the deacons were, in order to free up the elders, it says, to focus on ministering the word, teaching the word, and taking care of the prayer and the spiritual needs of the congregation. There's overlap of the two offices, but there is a differentiation between the two. And so in the early church, as it grew and the needs of the body grew, it was causing the leaders to spend less time focusing on feeding the flock by teaching the word of God. And they were having to tend to the flock in some of the the physical characteristics. Some of that were the many widows in the church as men were being martyred for their faith. You had women who were suddenly without support. And the church was taking care of these women as well as other physical needs. So God directed them to choose deacons to take care of these needs. Now, here at Wayside Chapel, those of you who are longtime attenders know, we don't have a formal deacon board. 
And, but we have those who function in the role of deacons. For instance, we have a facility, uh, we have a finance committee that watches over uh, the books and the other things in, in the church. And so they are those who are serving in the role of a deacon. We have those in the agape ministry. If you are somebody who is in financial need, if you've suffered a hardship losing your job or some other unexpected situation in your life, you know that as people here at Wayside share their gifts with the church, we in turn share those with the body. The book of Acts tells us that those who had were sharing with those who were in need. And the Agape Committee, the men and women on that group, serve as deacons and and deaconesses, even though they don't carry the official title. They're taking care of the physical needs of the body. They're taking care of the financial needs of the body. And so they are those in that role. We have men who serve in the Amen ministry. And this takes care of, uh, again, the physical needs of the body. There are those who are handymen who will go to the home of our deployed service personnel. If a man's overseas serving, sometimes something breaks in the house and we have uh, wives that will call the church and we have men that will go and take care of a need in the home. We have an oil change ministry for single moms and widows, and they take care of the cars for these individuals. And so we have men who are taking care of the physical needs of the body. They may not carry the title of deacon, but they are those who are serving in the role of deacon. So as you look at the the qualifications here, Paul, as he's talking about the role of elders, he says that they are also called to serve. Remember the servants, the ministers, literally the waiters of tables as they were in the book of Acts, were the deacons, and yet the elders, the overseers, are also to share this characteristic. It says in 1 Timothy 3.1 that if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now, this qualification alone, I cannot tell you how many years it knocks out a long list of men. There are many men whose names are presented to the church, the elders, and the pastoral team, and the nominating committee go through it. We pray through the names, and we say these are several good men that we would like to see uh, stand as uh, elders to be called by the body. And when you approach these men, they say, you know, we're, we're honored, but we don't have a desire to serve. It is a qualification that you desire to or aspire to the office of elder. So sometimes people say, I nominated so-and-so. Why was their name not presented at the congregation? Well, because they declined the offer to serve. Now, sometimes aspiring to the office can also be a disqualification because what you can have are those who sometimes covet the position of elder and they uh, seek after it in a way that is not healthy. Again, remember, the goal is to be a servant leader, not to be one who says, I need the power or the prestige of the position. In one of the previous churches I pastored, I had a man who came to me year after year and said, I need to be an elder. I want to be an elder. Why am I not being called as an elder? And uh, he had several issues in his life, but one of those was the reason he wanted to be an elder. He sought that office simply to be the one who would have a position of power. In 1 Peter 5, chapter 5, verses 2 through 3, Jesus said, Elders are to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, with eagerness, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, and not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. You see, we are called to be those who are in the position of elders as servant leaders, not lording it over the flock. 
When I was uh, growing up, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I was an altar boy. And if you are from an Episcopal or a uh, Catholic background, you know that when you come to Mass, uh, they have these uh, young men and acolytes, women at times, that are serving in the role of one of these uh, helpers. And you look like a mini priest. I mean, I remember going in the back and putting on the black robe and then the white kind of cassock over it that was very plain. And uh, the Monsignors would have a little bit more ornate. Well, occasionally the bishop would come. I was in a large parish in Dallas, and occasionally the bishop would come. Now, there was always a whirlwind of activity when he showed up. Uh, Not only were his robes much more ornate, you know, lace and all kinds of things, but he had this mitered hat, and he had a big shepherd's crook, and and he had a ring. Now, they would tell us that we were to go forward and kneel down and kiss uh, the bishop's ring. And uh, I had to dig through my drawer to find my ring. Uh, But since I'm an episcopos, a bishop, I thought I should wear my ring today since we're talking about this. (laughs) And uh, the Aggies will have a hard time because it's a University of Texas ring to kiss it. (laughs) So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) If I were to tell you all to bow down and kiss my ring, what kind of pastor would I be? Some of you are thinking unemployed. And, uh, and rightfully so, because that is not what we are called to do. God says that we are not to lord it over the flock, which God has appointed. If you're somebody who wants the title of a church leader... Um, simply to have the title, or if that is something that just you aspire to in an unhealthy way, you need to go before the Lord and pray and ask him to remove that. I mean, the desire to serve is a very healthy and great desire, uh, but it is a privileged position that you come as a servant leader, not as somebody that lords it over. You'll recall that as, as Peter is writing these words, I'm sure he thought back to the Last Supper, And you recall that as Jesus was there and the disciples were there and Peter was there, he said there was this fight that breaks out among the disciples. They did it on more than one occasion, arguing about which one of them is the greatest. You know, who's going to have the positions in the kingdom, you know, by the throne. And and they were always arguing about who's the greatest. And what Jesus did at that meal is it says he rose from the table And he stripped himself of his clothing and he girded a towel around himself and he went around and he washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus, who was the Lord and master, washed their feet. He took the place of the lowest servant because none of them would humble themselves to do this task. And then Jesus said in John 13 and verses 14 through 15, if I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. God is looking for servant leaders. And brothers and sisters, I can tell you, I am thankful for a church like Wayside. I'm thankful for the people who are here that are servant leaders. Not just your designated leaders, but all throughout. I see men and women serving daily on this property. Many who don't want recognition, those who are not seeking titles. Many of you serve in the position of leaders without having the formal title. You're saying, I don't need that. You're just simply doing 
what we're called to do. And it's the same thing with our, our elders. They are men who serve faithfully. I, I don't know what picture you have of elders. One time I had somebody say, well, you all have those smoke-filled rooms where you make these decisions. And I'm going, the Shekinah glory maybe comes down, but we're not sitting around smoking cigars. And they're not men who are sitting out just pontificating things. These are servant leaders who give sacrificially of their time. They serve in meetings. They serve in ways that you never see as they go out to homes to minister to the sick and anoint people. And and they put they and their families sacrifice the time. And when they step off of the board, as they as they finish their designated term, they continue to serve as elders. They continue to be those maybe that are not in the board meeting and are not doing uh, those functions, but they are still continuing to serve. They meet for new member interviews, uh, to hear testimonies of people wanting to join the church. They continue to go out and minister. They continue to teach. They continue to serve. You know, the Bible tells us that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, and these are faithful men who continue to serve, not just your sitting board, but the other ones who continue to serve. Sometimes the role of an elder has been improperly defined as being a policymaker, a financial officer, a fundraiser, or administrator. But we see here that the role of an elder is a shepherd ministering to the flock. Alexander Strauch wrote a book called Biblical Eldership, and he describes the role of an elder this way. The image is of a shepherd caring for his flock, standing long hours, ensuring its safety, leading it to fresh pasture and clear water, carrying the weak, seeking the lost, healing the wounded and the sick. The whole image is of a Palestinian shepherd. It's characterized by intimacy, tenderness, concern, skill, hard work, suffering, and love. Derek Timble has written a book called Skillful Shepherds, and he describes the role of an elder as being a subtle blend of authority and care. And as much toughness as there is tenderness, as much courage as there is comfort. Elders are called to lead the church, to teach the word, to protect the flock from false teachers, to exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine, to judge doctrinal issues, to visit the sick, and to pray. This is what it means for elders to shepherd the flock, to watch over and care for the local church. Being an elder is not about what you can gain It's rather about what you can give as you serve the congregation. Now, the next qualification of an overseer is that he is to be above reproach. Now, this is also found in Titus chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. And the word means blameless, irreproachable. Literally, it means nothing to take hold of. Now, sometimes we'll talk to men and they will say, I'm not blameless. I'm not perfect. This, this word is found five times in the New Testament, in the Bible. One time it's used in regard to deacons, two times as it applies to elders. The other two times that it is used, it describes all of us as Christians when we leave this earth, when we die and we go home to heaven, we are said to be glorified. And when we are glorified, when we walk through the gates of heaven, we are made perfect. Our sin nature is removed. We will never again sin. We are in the presence of God. And so this is the word, and people sometimes look at that meaning of it, and they say, well, then who is qualified to be a leader in the church? And the answer is, if that is the standard, then no one is. I am with sin. Every person in this church is a sinner. The Bible tells us that, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Now, what this word means, let me give you an illustration to help you understand it. Um, when I was growing up, one of the things, there were four boys in my family. We were all within a year of each other. So you had four uh, boys and my dad would put us out on the back porch and he had one of these razors that he would just shave our head, you know? And so he would just come down the line and, and, and what he would do when we were done, we were almost bald. We were like little fuzzy cue balls. Cause I mean, he would cut it down to the scalp. And so there was still hair there, but it's not like today. If you walk up and you want to grab a handful of hair with me, you know, you can do that. And what the Bible is giving us the image of is our hair, so to speak, is so short that if you were, when I was that age, you know, sometimes my brothers and I would get in a fight and somebody would try to pull each other's hair and it was funny. You just, your hand would slip right off the head as you tried to grab because there was nothing to take hold of. And that is the image here. When it says that we are made this way, in Colossians 1.22, it says, Yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now remember, that doesn't happen until we die. But what it is saying that is as we grow and as we mature as believers, as we walk with the Lord, we, should, we will never be sinless. 1 John 1.10 tells us if we claim to be without sin, we make God a liar. But what he says is while we will not be sinless, we as Christians should sin less and less and less as we grow in our walk with God. There should be less to take hold of to the point that we are above reproach. And this is what this image is here. God wants us to be those that there is nothing to take hold of. And so as you look at your own life, ask yourself, are are you somebody with, you know, uh, a mullet type of hair that's long and easy to grab hold of in regard to sin in your life? Or are you more like a fuzzy cue ball where there is less and less for somebody to reach out and grab hold of you in your life? Now, remember, these characteristics are not just about church and the leadership here. It's, It's about our entire life. So ask yourself, how do you conduct your business? Are you above reproach in how you do your business? Do you cut corners? Do you cheat customers? Do you cheat at school? Are you somebody who has a good reputation outside of the doors of wayside? Do you honor God in your language? Would those who look at you say that you are, spiritually speaking, um, above reproach? Now, as you look at verse 7, you see another characteristic that's tied in with being above reproach. It says that you have a good reputation with those who are outside of the church. We had a man several years ago who was presented as an elder, servant in our church, well-known, served in various ways. But as the vetting process began, uh, some things surfaced in his life, not inside Wayside, but out in the community. And people said, you know, he really doesn't have a good reputation in the business community. And I had the unfortunate uh, task of going to talk to him about his reputation in the community and saying, you just don't have a good reputation. And for that reason, we're not going to be able to further your candidacy for elder. And we asked him to begin to make some changes in his business practice. Because we who are leaders in the church, again, we're not perfect But there should be less and less to take hold of. And what leaders understand is by nature of their title, they then affect the organization. 
And so the person in the community who had a bad business reputation because of the way he did business, cutting corners, cheating contractors, other things like that, it would then carry over when people heard he was a leader at Wayside. By nature, it would, it would affect the reputation of this church. And the same thing happens uh, beyond this church. Even more important for all of us as believers to remember is that people know we are Christians. And how many times do people get this shocked look on their face when they hear about somebody being a believer and they go, that person's a Christian? I never would have known. So as you look at your own life, ask yourself, are you above reproach? Are you giving yourself a haircut, so to speak, daily, cutting out those areas of sin, taking shears to your life and removing more and more of the things that are not God-honoring in your life? As you look at your life in verse 7, it says you have a good reputation with those outside of the church. If somebody were to go out into the community and ask about you or talk about you, what would they say? You all know that I was a policeman in Dallas before I was a pastor. And you, you may not know a whole lot about the police world. There are many fine men and women who serve in uniform, but there are also those that are not. Uh, well-known for their good reputations uh, in the police world. And it, not so much that they're, they're corrupt or cheat or, or brutalize citizens, but just within the police world, it's a very hard profession. I imagine it's a lot like being a soldier and some of the things you face, the stress and the other things that happen. And within the police world, there are uh, affairs that happen with men and women who are officers. And one year, um, as I got seniority in the police field, as you get seniority and you begin to prove yourself on the street, your sergeant and watch commander will often come to you and, and reward you by giving you a beat. And a beat is a designated area. You get your own car. You get your own area. You focus on it. And you begin to develop things within there, you know, informants, and you are able to control crime better, and they hold you personally accountable for your area. And with that, you work five days a week, and they tend to assign you a partner, another person who has earned the right to have that, and they'll have overlap. So you're two days off and they're two days off. You'll work together, you know, three to four days a week, and then they'll put in rotating officers as relief on your beat if you're a two-man area. And so when I got my beat, uh, they wanted to give me a partner who was a female officer. And uh, she was a very attractive lady, and we were before we were going to work together, I said to, to the sergeant and to uh, this lady, Pam, I said, you know, I need to have my wife's permission because we're going to be spending eight hours a day in a car together. I'm going to be spending more time with you, Pam, than I do with my wife. And so she said she understood. The sergeant said, great, go ahead. And uh, she met Pam. She was a very attractive lady. And Kim said, that's fine. You have permission to work together, Roger. And so we were assigned together. Well, uh, during our time working together, she was also married to another police officer. And this other police officer and she, uh, their marriage fell apart and they were going to have a divorce. Pam wasn't yet a believer. She did ultimately come to know Christ through us working together. But when we were working together and this thing fell apart, there was this, you know, a couple guys in the station who liked to gossip. And they said, oh, this is going to be juicy. We're going to say Roger and Pam are having an affair, and that's why the marriage is falling apart. And so they went around trying to spread this rumor. Well, everybody that they talked to about this would laugh and say, Roger is not doing that. And they'd go to the jail, and they'd try to spread rumors there. Well, guys I had gone through the academy with and other ladies and things said, Roger's not doing that. 
And so everywhere he went trying to get this rumor started, it would die. Now, I don't share that to brag, but I share it to show you what happens when you are somebody that has a reputation where there is nothing to take hold of. And my reputation wasn't just because I was in seminary. It was because when I went through the academy and as I worked the streets and police would do things where after work they'd go out to to drink and I'd go with them to a bar, but I wouldn't go to the topless bar with them when there would be police parties where questionable things would start to happen. Uh, I would leave those at that time. And so people started to say, you know, Roger has a certain reputation. And so when somebody tried to attribute this rumor to me, there was nothing to take hold of. Friends, I want you to look at your own life and ask yourself, is your reputation better than the rumor that somebody may try to start with you? As you look at how you're living your life, as you look at how you're conducting your business, are you one who is above reproach? Are you cutting out the things in your life that are questionable? You know, the Bible is full of examples of men and women who were very questionable in their reputation But then as they came to Christ, things changed. Look at the life of Zacchaeus. Remember him? He was a tax collector, and he was a person who made a mess of his life. But when he came to Christ, he changed not only his life, but the way he did business. He said, everybody I've cheated, I'll restore it to. Read Matthew chapter 1. Look at the genealogy there. It is filled with the names of men and women who were of questionable backgrounds, harlots, foreigners, all kinds of people that nobody would say would be qualified to be in the line of the Savior. But God is in the business of taking and restoring people. I saw a sign in a dry cleaner's once. It said, we clean everything but your reputation. (laughs) Friends, your reputation may be soiled, but I know one who cleans your reputation. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're saying, Roger, my life is a mess. I am far from being above reproach. In fact, I, I wouldn't even, I would laugh if somebody thought of asking me to be a leader. And yet, I, I don't even know if God would want me. Friends, may I point you to the cross where God tells us in Romans 5, 8 that he demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were far from Christ, while we were in rebellion, while we were running from him, while we were at our worst, it says God loved you. And he died for you. And he died to redeem you, to wash your reputation, to remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. As you look at your life today, have you given it to Jesus Christ? And then as a man or a woman who has come to faith, what are you doing with it? What kind of reputation are you building? May I remind you that it takes years, a lifetime to build a reputation and only moments to lose it. What are you doing to guard your reputation? What are you doing to cut out those questionable things in your life so that there is nothing to take hold of? Another reason to live above reproach, as we said, is not just your reputation, but the Savior whose name that you carry. And if you're one who has made mistakes, I told you 1 John 1.10 tells us that none of us can say we are without sin or we make God a liar. But the verse right before that, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you've made mistakes in your past, it starts with repentance. It starts with going to God and saying, God, I made a mess of my life. I've made mistakes. But today, God, I want to change. The word repentance literally means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action. 
It's the picture of going in one direction and stopping and turning around and going back in the other direction. So if you've been walking away from Christ to some sin or some questionable thing in your life, what it says is you will stop and you will turn around and you will go back to God and you will be the man or the woman that he calls you to be. And that's what God offers to us today. If you're here today and you're saying, I've made a mess of my life or I'm far from God, or, you know, Roger, I do aspire to be a leader someday, but I've got to make some changes. And friends, today is the day to start. Today is the day to say to God, I want to repent. For some, it may mean coming to God for the first time, coming to him and saying, God, I am a sinner and I've been far from you, but today I realize I need you. And God, I'm throwing myself at the mercy of the cross. I'm coming to the foot of the cross today and saying, I want you to be my savior. And what the Bible tells us is God's arms are still open wide for you. No longer nailed to the cross, but open wide waiting to welcome you home. If you've never come to Christ, I invite you to do so today. For the rest of us who have done that in the past, God says to us, you may have made mistakes. You may have turned your back on me. You may have walked away, but you are not beyond the scope of my love, the scope of my redemption. I'm still in the business of restoring and redeeming. Dry cleaners may not fix your reputation, but Jesus Christ can. And his blood will wash away your sins. He calls on you to confess your sins and you will find he is faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want us to end today by going to the Lord in prayer. I want you just to take a moment to think about your life, to think about maybe an area or two that you've been falling short in, a place where you've made mistakes in your own life and where today you're ready to say to him, God, I want to come home. It may be for the first time you're coming to faith. It may be for others of us that it's a time where we're saying, God, today I recognize I've been running the wrong way and I want to stop and I want to turn around. Take a few moments just to think about your life where you've been falling short and confess your sins. Ask God to help you in those areas and to be the man or woman he wants you to be. And then I'll close this in prayer. Let's go to the Lord and pray, please. Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Father, that in those times where we failed to measure up, that you didn't reject us, you didn't cast us aside, but instead you came to earth 
to go to the cross to take our place, paying that penalty of death that we owed for our sins. And we thank you, Lord God, that your arms are still open wide today, waiting to receive all who will come to you. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here today who's never taken that step of faith and come to you, that today would be the day where Jesus Christ, they would say, I'm a sinner and I'm far from you, but I'm trusting in you, Jesus, as the payment for my sins. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through you. And today, Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm accepting your great gift of new life. Thank you for welcoming me into the family. Father, for the rest of us who have given our life to you in the past, I pray that we would today give our lives to you anew, that we would recommit to walk with you, that we would be men and women of character who match the name of Jesus Christ, a Christian, a little Christ, that we would represent you well in the world in which we are in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, the military bases, just around town, would we be those who reflect what it means to know and love you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for who you are, for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, for redeeming us and hitting the reset button in the times where we fail. And we pray, Lord, that as we walk out of here today, that we would reflect you and that we would be lights in the darkness around us. So thank you again for your love. May we love you and live for you. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are prayer leaders here at the front. If you have a need in your life, we would love to pray with you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.